G'day, I'm Morgan Evans, and welcome to Selkirk OnServe, a pickleball podcast presented by Selkirk Sport. With interviews and insights, news and announcements, we're here to take the pulse of pickleball. Happy New Year to all our listeners. I hope you're as excited as I am about the pickleball season of 2019. I think we can all agree that uh, it's primed to take another giant step forward this year. As you know, many pickleball players have strong tennis backgrounds. Because of that, our guest today is a little bit unique. She was a self-confessed jack-of-all-trades but master of none. At a young age, however, she dropped tennis, basketball and softball to focus on what would become her lifelong love, volleyball. She won a national championship at UCLA and then became a professional beach volleyball player ultimately returning to UCLA for a stint on the coaching staff. Introduced to pickleball in 2014, she remains an addict seeking no cure. Please welcome my friend and my first ever mixed doubles partner, Kim Jade. Thanks, I'm happy to be here, happy to be on Selkirk on Serve. (laughs) Great, well, first of all, there's a big question I think everyone is uh, wanting to know. Has, in your experience, any tournament announcer ever pronounced your name right? <laughs> I think you're the only one that has ever actually announced my name correctly in any fashion, uh, any sort of live radio or uh, video or anything. But no, not too many tournament announcers have gotten my name correct lately. Well, all those out there listening now, the millions around the world, if you're going to run a tournament, please get her name right. It is Kim Jade, like the, like the green. Yep, just like the stone. <laughs> So you played Division One volleyball for UCLA, uh, won a national championship, um, and then you played beach volleyball professionally for three seasons or so. What, what was that kind of time of your life like? Well, the college volleyball is, is a very carefree environment. You feel like you have no cares in the world. You're on a team with 17, 18 other collegiate age women that are pretty free-spirited and having a good time. Of course, I was at UCLA, so everybody was very talented. Uh, we expected to go out on the court and win all the time, and we did. We won a lot, and it was uh, really amazing to win a championship. The beach volleyball is a much different realm. Um, you have no coaches. You have no trainers. You have nobody telling you how to work, when to work, how much to work. So you're kind of on your own, just the way in the sense that you and I are on our own right now. Wow. We train ourselves. So if I tra- transitioned to women's beach volleyball, there's a very good chance I, I wouldn't be able to pick up uh, a coaching job like for Selkirk. Uh, probably, not. probably not. No, okay. probably not. I see. Fair enough. But I, you would, they would love you, oh, no great. doubt. Great. I mean, with my height and reach, I think I could really be an asset. And there you go. Um, possibly. But you haven't seen me in a bikini, so we won't... Uh, Probably won't start that just yet. Well, you have the shorty board shorts. Those are those are acceptable. That's true. Well, I lived in Europe for a long time. That, that was, <laughs> <it> was normal. <laughs> now, there were four or five attempts um, at a women's pro uh, beach volleyball tour. Um, none of them really succeeded. In your opinion, what kind of stopped them? Well, they were combination tours, most of them, men and women. Um, they did try to separate them a little bit. When I played, they were separated. There was the WPVA, which was the women's, and the men's tour, which was the AVP. Uh, we traveled to the same venue, so there was one setup. There was different prize money and different sponsors for each the men and the women. Really, primarily, uh, it was lack of sponsors. It was lack of television coverage to promote the sport really well. 
Infrastructure is so important. Bureaucracy is so important. To do it well, to do it right, you have to have the right people in play, the right money in play, and the players have to be willing to kind of grow with the sport. They can't accept it or expect it all at first, all at once. Wow, that sounds... Um... It sounds like that's kind of mirrored in a few other sports. I know paddle tennis had a similar um, trial and tribulation going through different um, attempts at, at professional, you know, paddle tennis and didn't quite work out. Would you say that pickleball is off to a, a pretty good start in terms of how we're being um, viewed by the public and how, how close we are to kind of becoming a mainstream sport that can kind of run on its own from here on out and have enough traction to... Um, to become something like an Olympic sport in the future? Well, the growth model is obviously huge with our sport, which is even better than volleyball. I think it's better than paddle tennis was, you know, when they were trying to make their pro tour as well. I do see that pickleball has this incredible growth curve, which is permeating all the age demographics, and that's a huge part of our sport. Um, it's as enjoyable to watch the 50-plus players play as it is to watch the teens play at nationals. Uh, I see that as a, a, a really great component of our sport and a great way to sell it to television and markets out there. Uh, I think it's very doable. I think it's somebody has to come along and grab it, embrace it, and really push it forward. Uh, the USAPA is doing their part, but they're not a pro league designer. Uh, we need somebody kind of separate to help us engage that process and, and really push it to the next level. Do you believe there's a place for competitive pickleball at the collegiate level? I do. I, and I think that could be a, uh, a proponent also of the USAPA. Maybe we could... I know that the ambassador program is growing up to 1,800 ambassadors right now. Wow. Maybe we could carve off a niche of uh, ambassadors that are strictly focused on growing it in high schools and in colleges and going to athletic directors and uh, to the conferences maybe and trying to create it to be a sport. Um, that's the way we're going to get even more notoriety is if we get our youngsters playing it at all the different levels, high school and collegiate. So I had Justin Maloof uh, in here a couple of weeks ago. When I say in here, I think he was at an airport. Um, but uh, he promised me he'd be listening to our next episode and picking up some tips. So Justin, if, you, if you're listening, Hi, Justin. <laughs> uh, let's carve out some people just for collegiate pickleball. So what was it that inspired you to get into coaching after your stint at professional pickleball, uh, professional volleyball, sorry? Well... I had actually coached even in high school. I was uh, kind of doing uh, what professional pickleball players do. I was giving private lessons to younger athletes, say freshmen. When I was a senior in high school, I was giving private lessons. Um, I also coached a junior varsity volleyball team for boys when I was a senior in high school because uh, there were so few coaches in the area. So they enlisted me to, to coach the 14, 15-year-old boys, and I was only 17 or 18 years old. I, I, I loved coaching. My father coached me in all of my sports. He taught me how to play every sport under the sun, and um, it just seemed like a natural progression to me. I loved the nuances of sports in terms of strategy and the teaching of them, so I, it just kind of came natural to me. Fantastic. I bet the boys loved you. I, I loved coaching the boys. <laughs> they are by far my favorite. If there was a pickleball club in college, I would coach. 
So that, that brings me to the next question. If, uh, if and when it becomes a collegiate sport, would you consider going back to UCLA to, uh, to coach the team? Now, I don't know if I'd go back to LA just because I, I spent all those years and minutes and hours on the freeways in Los Angeles. I'm, I, I do love it out here, but if uh, the College of the Desert wanted to start one or Cal State San Bernardino out here, I, I, would, I would happily get involved in that. And they'd be lucky to have you. Yes, Justin, I did just put my name out there. <laughs> So let's wind back the clock a little bit. 2014. Um, tell us a little bit about your first pickleball experience. Well, I think the very first time I saw it, uh, I was hiking up there by Kawea Park. And I saw the likes of Scott Burr and Randy, I can't remember his name, uh, Stephanie Ice and Julie and Greg, Julie Bob? Boger. Was it Orange Julius? Yes. That would be the one. Okay. Uh, what's Greg? Greg Linnemeyer. And they were all playing, and they were athletic, and they were having fun and smashing the ball at each other. And I looked, and I said, wow, I wonder what that game is. So I looked it up. But then, uh, you know, I realized it was being played right at my country club. Got into it just a tiny bit. And then I went over the Palm Desert Senior Games when I was 49. And I was like, well, you know, this is going to be my future. I'm going to be 50 here pretty quick. So... I went over there and I saw Julie Haney and Julie Boger playing and dominating the field in the 50-plus women's doubles. And they were tall and athletic and running the court and smashing the ball. And I just, oh, my competitive juices just started to flow. And I just said, oh, my gosh, I just, I want to play this game. Great. I had a similar experience. I think Korea Park was my first time. And uh, I think almost immediately I met you out there. Yep. Um, and we played our first tournament together what was it the uh the, it was the regional west regional it was the west at, regional in las vegas las vegas yeah, yeah. we came up against a young sarah ansbury and i think scott stone uh oliver strecker and, That's right. and uh, stephanie lane stephanie lane uh-huh uh we struggled to beat some of those teams but we i think we got bronze we got silver silver oh, yes wow. we got silver to oliver and stephanie we lost to them yeah, early yeah. and then we got to the gold medal match and we lost to them there in, i think in three actually we, we played pretty well those tall Germans and those Southern Bells. Oh, boy. That was, a, that was a formidable team, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's no we, shame. We were a little shocked. We didn't even know where to stand and how to score, and we, sure. we didn't know what we were doing, but yeah, we managed. <laughs> I was waiting for the ref to say 30 love at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so as a volleyball player, what were some of the things you've taken from volleyball and, and implanted to uh, a degree of success in pickleball? What would you say? Uh, I mean, I watch you play, and I think you're one of the best defenders, man or woman, um, out there. Is that kind of the key thing for you in your game, or was there other elements that volleyball has really helped with? Well, I, I, definitely the defense. Uh, that's what I was known for as a volleyball player, uh, indoors and outdoors, was my defense. And then also being a setter. So I was very used to trying to set up the attacker uh, in my, whether it was indoor or outdoor, which is very similar to pickleball as well. You're trying to finesse the dinks properly to get a pop-up for your partner. Uh, I, I love that part of it. Um, I think the other key thing is, is uh, the communication. Uh, volleyball, especially indoors, there's six players out there. So there's even more con confusion. Uh, lots of bodies flying around in different directions and different patterns and hitting. And uh, we're talking constantly. So that translates probably much more easily than, say, a tennis player does because uh, they're not used to talking, especially a singles player. You don't talk at all. Um, so that that I have actually been told to be, could you not talk so much? <laughs> that is a, a, it does come from my volleyball, so I do apologize uh, right away to a new partner if I talk too much. <laughs> well, I always enjoyed it because it, it's one of those things, you don't, you don't really risk anything 
um, by communicating, you know, but you do risk something if you don't, you know. How do you know that your body language is exactly illustrating what you want to do and what you want them to do? You're better off saying something than nothing, right? I, I agree. I think it works on the pickleball court as, as well in, in relationships too. It's a, it's an important part of life. Good, good, good. Well, that's it, God. Did you realize you were going to get relationship lessons in today's episode, guys? I didn't know that, but now I know. Apparently communication is important. Um, so, again, we you started off in 2014 and you were living in Indian Wells at the time, correct? Yes. Did you ever imagine that uh, the Indian Wells Tennis Garden would host the Nationals one day? Well... This is kind of odd, but in 2016, when we came back from Casa Grande, uh, from Nationals, and it wasn't the best environment. It was hard to compete there. The, you know, the smell and the cotton and the lack of parking and lack of food and things that provided there, I just, I started to dream. And I did dream. That was my, my pipe dream was that we could have this at the BMP Parabot Indian Wells. And um, I thought maybe uh, a noble goal would be 2020. And that's when I kind of started talking about it a little bit, just putting it out there, just trying to see if people would grab a hold of it or laugh at me. I didn't know what the reply was going to be, but nobody laughed. Well, certainly not to your face. I mean. <laughs> exactly, not to my face, which was a good idea. <laughs> yes. But it, it kept the dream alive too. And then, you know, Fred and Christine just worked it out and bam, bam, bam. All of a sudden we were not just having a regional there, that was scrapped and we were having nationals and it happened so fast that I wanted to put on the brakes a little bit. I got a little nervous that, you know, maybe we couldn't pull it off that fast, but, and that well, but look what they did. Yeah. I, I mean, the outcome was surreal. It was unbelievable. And the machine that is uh, the IWTG really took it and ran with it. And I think we're all shocked at how quickly um, it went from, uh, what was it, just a Wednesday night drop-in that we used to go there and yep. um, Frank Taylor and a few other blokes would take lines for us. It was very kind of them. Uh, we'd pay a few bucks and, and then, what, eight months later or so, the, the Nationals were there. It was, um, it was beyond belief. Yeah. <laughs> so your career highlight, um, in my opinion, and I believe yours, the mixed senior open um, where you took silver with uh, a local legend, Scott Burr. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what, what was it that, that gave you the pathway to victory um, for so many matches that day? Well, uh, I've learned now that it's really advantageous to go through the winner's bracket and not drop down into that loser's bracket after your second or third match. That, I could have told you that. I, so I, you I, I, I knew that, but that was a theory, and <laughs> now I've witnessed it firsthand, and boy, is that uh, it's a difference maker to to you know not have to toil, especially in that heat and that humidity out there, uh, in the loser's bracket for a long time. And then when you get to your most important match, you, you've got nothing left in the tank. So uh, that was very important. Um, we knew our opposition quite well in the, in the crucial, crucial match. Um, it was, again, at 1.30. It was the hottest part of the day. Uh, by the end of that, I was suffering some cramp issues. And um, Scott played beautifully in the end. Um, it was, you know, it was just such a great match to get us to that gold medal round where, you know, the U.S. Open, you, it's that single elimination or you go down into, it's not a contender's bracket anymore. No. So that makes it even more challenging. Yeah. But uh, it was, it was a great experience. It was an accumulation of a lot of hard work with Scott and I. I mean, that, that brings me to an interesting sort of question. Do you think it was that added pressure? Was that part of it? I mean, they say pressure makes diamonds and, uh, 
some people only find their their very best while others you know they've reached their breaking point um when the pressure is the highest you know you obviously you're a professional athlete before and your connection and chemistry with scott on the court um is palpable i mean it's you can see when you two are in sync and communicating well happy with each other um that you know you're almost unstoppable so would you say that the U.S. Open format, how, as you said, there is, um, you know, there's no second chances to, to get gold. Was that something that really helped you compared to your opponents, perhaps? Well, I think it helps you, yes. I think it helps you to not overlook anybody. Uh, You've got to come out firing on all cylinders in your very first match or you're going to be sent down. So I think that helps Scott and I because we're notoriously slow starters. But then we start to kind of oil the machine a little bit and things start to roll. So I think that added pressure really did help us in, in, in the end in analyzing it, yes. Fantastic. You also won the um, the indoor championships in Centralia with a, a fellow Selkirk teammate, Hella Spar. I do hope I'm pronouncing that right, Hella. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? What does what she like to play with? Hella's amazing. Uh, she's... Uh, a dear person. She's a great coach, a great strategist. Uh, she has a unique way of bringing her tennis to the pickleball court and uses angles and shots. And um, I like to talk about strategy during a game, before a game, after a game, how we're going to approach a game. She loves that too. Uh, we room together in an Airbnb and just we just had a great time. She is uh, she's a remarkable person, a remarkable coach, and a great player. I uh, just loved playing with her. Things were so smooth with her. Uh, we were always on the same page. Communication was great. Uh, and that was really my first time playing or competing indoors. I mean, you know, we've messed around over there at Desert Sports Centers once or twice, but uh, this was a this was a unique experience for me playing indoors. So it was uh, it was great. Really enjoyed playing with Ella. What what kind of things do you look for when when choosing a partner? It seemed to work very well with her, obviously, and. Scott Burr, you get to play with him a lot, but if it's um, somewhat of a blind date and you haven't actually played um, a lot with someone, what kind of things do you think make a good partnership for you especially, but in general? Well, again, I I think it goes back to my volleyball. Uh, I do like to talk. I like to communicate about strategy so we can go out with a plan. Uh, I'd like to have a plan A, B, and C. If you know A isn't working so well, let's just kind of ad lib and go over to plan B. But it's it's got to be a discussion with the partner. I mean, you both have to be on the same page in order to execute a strategy. Because mm-hmm. if you're not, then you know you have no idea where that ball is coming from uh, next or where it's going to. Um, so I I enjoy that part of it. Um, I think in picking partners, you know, if we lived in an ideal world and picking partners, you would pick somebody out of your backyard because you can train with them, you can learn their moves, like you say, out of your peripheral vision, you can see when they're stepping for something and when they really mean it or when they're just faking to come get it. Um, but that's not always, it's not how it works in pickleball. Our, our best players are splattered all across the country. So I think it's important to uh, communicate right away, talk about who's going to take what balls, uh, what the strategy is going to be. And if you're varying from it, I think you immediately call a timeout and say, hey, you know, Let's rediscuss this. Let's revisit and let's find a strategy that they're comfortable with. Maybe they weren't comfortable with what you first chose and find out what they're comfortable with and, and then go from there. So would you say you would work well with someone who's just more of a listener versus someone who really wants to talk as well? I mean, you know, where the sport is filled with people that kind of internalize a little bit and won't always be vocal 
they might be, you know, listening intently. I mean, I guess we were given two ears and one mouth for, for a reason. Do you think, <laughs> do you, think you could um, really jive with someone who doesn't really talk much, but, you know, you can kind of lead the show? I can. I, I guess I'm getting to that point now where I feel experienced enough, especially in the women's doubles game, where I can do that with a less experienced player, uh, where before I really wanted to be a contributor, not, uh, you know, the coach saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. Uh, even when I played with Hella, um, who I think is, a, you know, purely a tennis coach, that is her strength and her background, I really wanted to... Uh, let her choose the strategies. And, you know, I was really more the listener and the follower. But if I got uncomfortable with something, you know, I wanted to be able to make a change. And I felt okay speaking up and saying, I'd like to make this change. And I think it's about being adaptive and, and making it work. And if I feel my partner's getting uncomfortable with something, they don't want to dink straight ahead, that's too much of a small box to dink into, let's change the strategy. I'm okay with it, you know. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And as a coach, you know yourself, Hella, and myself, we're coaches by nature as well as um, players. But I find one of the most difficult things is to take that coach's hat off, um, to a degree at least, when I'm playing. I I find it very very difficult to to not be you know essentially overanalyzing a game, um, and it kind of costs me uh, you know being able to stay in the moment. I don't know how to switch that off. Any advice? Yeah, that's a tough one. I really, I think you just have to turn on your inner competitive person and just, you know, throw the coaching hat off and say, hey, this is my turn to play. My time to be out there and be a player and and maybe even accept some coaching. You know, yeah. maybe you have somebody on the sideline for you yeah. occasionally to say, you know. Oh, oh my God, would you do that? <laughs> you know I would do that okay. for you. Fantastic. <laughs> That is uh, that's a formally verbal binding agreement, so everyone who listens, she has to know that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to um, change direction just slightly to a, okay. slightly, a slightly more divisive question. Uh, Equal pay in pickleball. What do you think? This is something that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are, you know, can't quite find a common ground, um, how it should be done, if it should be done. What are your thoughts on the subject? Well, I'm going to tell you right away that I am definitely a, not a modern feminist, but a, you know, a 1980s, 90s feminist. Um, you know, I'm all for equal rights for women and, um, you know, I want to see women do well in all fields. Um, but I really believe that it's our job as women to make sure that we build up and bring in more talent into our side of the sport. And therefore, not ask for the men to subsidize our pay. I don't think that's the right thing to do. Um, they, we wouldn't expect them to ask, you know, to subsidize their pay. So I think we need to find better players, more players uh, have a deeper pool of talent with which to pull from so we can have 16 top teams at TOC for the women's doubles instead of whatever there is right now. I'm not that familiar, five, six, seven, eight, mm. uh, that are you know always the contenders, always the medalists. We need to open that up. Where in the men's side, there's a lot of teams that can win, a lot of guys that can strike. Well, I think um, Jermaine Greer would be proud. <laughs> um, and it probably comes back to what you were talking about earlier on and how we can really introduce the sport at the collegiate level and get that going um, so that there is a you know an increasingly competitive up-and-coming pool of players in men's and women's 
Um, and I think the USAPA is doing a good job now with the kind of qualification systems that they've got in place um, using the regional um, regional tournaments to filter into nationals and not just, well, if you've got a computer and you're quick with the keyboard and mouse, congratulations, you get to play nationals. Yeah. Um, so I think we're on the right track, but I'm glad you were, were comfortable speaking up about that. I, I know a lot of people may not, uh, they may dodge the question and, and plead the fifth. I think it's the right thing. I, I think it's our responsibility as females to to bring up our side of the game. I, and again, the talent's phenomenal. Our side of the game. We just need it to be deeper. You know, that's and we have great personalities, uh, huge personalities on our you know on the female side of the game that uh, can be put forward and, and be great spokespeople. And um, but we just need a, a a larger talent pool. That's that's going to be important. Agreed. And then we I think we can both agree it'll certainly get there. It will. Final question. Now, obviously, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of pickleball podcasts around the world. Uh, out of all the hosts, who has been your favorite mixed doubles partner? <laughs> I, I was afraid something like this might pop up. Well, of course, Morgan, you're my favorite of all time, all time, all time. But I do have to give credit to the platoon of mixed partners that I've had. You know, I've played with Marcin. Scott's obviously my pickleball husband, if you will. And they have podcasts now, is that what Oh, that's true. They don't have podcasts. Yeah. Okay, okay. You you win the game. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> well, and you've still got PayPal. I'll uh, ship that 20 bucks to you. You got it. <laughs> Kim, Jade, it's been an honor and privilege to have you. This has been Selkirk on Serve. Please tune in next time.